Hello, this is Yaro, and welcome to the Entrepreneur's Journey podcast. Today's guest is Amy Morin. Hi, thanks for downloading today's episode. In a moment, you're going to hear from Amy and her incredible story of writing one viral article that turned into a seven-figure business as she became a highly paid speaker. She actually did a TED Talk as well. She has a best-selling book that continues to sell enough copies to earn her a full-time income alone, just the book sales, also a course, and she continues to write articles but now gets paid as much as $1,000 per article as well. So this really is an amazing story in terms of one event turning into a business, but there's a lot more to the full Amy Morin background story, and you're going to hear all of that in a moment. First, though, I'd like to invite you to head to interviewsclub.com and enter your email address into the form you'll find on that page to subscribe to the newsletter for the EJ podcast. Once you do that, I'll send you an email every time a new episode is released and also a series of the very best EJ podcasts from the archives. That's interviewsclub.com to sign up 100% free. Okay, now here's the interview with Amy. Today, my guest came to me through, well, a simple place. It was an article posted on ProBlogger, Darren's site, and the the title was pretty compelling. It was how I turned one blog post into a seven-figure business and how you can capitalize on going viral. So I was very curious to learn how one blog post, which I've just found out was a, I think, a 600-plus word blog post eventually turned into a uh, seven-figure business, including things like having an online course. My guest has done a TED Talk, got a very successful coaching business. So we're going to learn all about how this happened as a result of just one blog post. So I'd like to welcome Amy Morin to the show. Hi, Amy. Hi, thanks for having me. So that's a, a pretty compelling story just in terms of how simple it sounds on one level write article have seven figure business but i'm sure there's a lot more steps in between <laughs> those two areas before though we we dive into what what happened with that story i just love to know a little bit more about your background so were you always uh, you know writer entrepreneur teacher coach something like that no i um am a social worker by trade so most of my job experience in the past was doing therapy i'm a therapist so I was living by the billable hour. You know, I got paid when people came in, and but you could only earn so much money. And then in 2006, my husband passed away, and he was our primary breadwinner, and he had a heart attack, died very suddenly. And so I needed a way to figure out how do I supplement my income? I can only work so many hours per week as a therapist. I can never earn more than the number of clients that I see. I wanted a way to have enough income coming in that I didn't have to worry about moving, and I didn't have to worry about drastically changing my lifestyle. I felt like dealing with that loss was enough. And so I really was searching to figure out how, what else can I do to try to earn money. And you can only work as a therapist so many hours a week before you burn out. And I was already working two jobs at the time. And so I started writing as a way to sort of my side hustle. And I was earning very little money, sometimes $15 per article, something like that. But it was enough of an extra income that I could do it in the nights and on the weekends and just to earn enough so that I had a little bit of a cushion. And over the years, that was something that helped me just sort of have some comfort knowing I wasn't going to you know, have to live paycheck to paycheck or if some of my clients didn't show up, I wasn't going to have to worry about not being able to pay the mortgage, that sort of a thing. Right. And 
And then over time, I actually started a e-commerce business. I did a jewelry company, a dropship jewelry company, where okay. I didn't have to uh, didn't have to deal with any of the. It's mostly passive, where I was able to just ship the jewelry directly from the wholesaler, and then that built up over time. And then in 2013, I wrote that one blog post that went viral, and that sort of made my career take a sharp left-hand turn. All right. So before we talk about that, I'd love to hear about this jewelry business because you're actually not the first woman I've interviewed who had a drop shipping jewelry business somewhere in their story. <laughs> so I'm beginning to wonder if this is a thing you just, you know, because I'm guessing jewelry, jewelry wasn't necessarily your passion. Your, you know, the, I, I'm sure you like jewelry. A lot of people do, but to see it as a business, how did that all happen? Was it just random? You know, it was a variety of things. So my, my husband had, he used to buy me a fair amount of jewelry, but he had a jeweler who let him order the parts that cost, you know, the, the setting and then the stone and then the jeweler would just charge him for putting them together. And so I knew there was a huge markup on jewelry. And I also knew jewelry was really cheap to ship. <laughs> and so compared to, you know, if I'd sold lamps or even clothing that right. you get into running into a lot of money. So I thought, you know, those two things are, are fairly inexpensive. And if I can just have a e-commerce store, I don't have to charge nearly as much as a brick and mortar store. So, and I think the markup usually is like 200% on jewelry. So I thought, you know, my markup is only 150%. People could get the exact same thing for less money. And so it took some finagling. I had to get a jeweler's license and do some things in the meantime. But then it was just a matter of, I got the account with a wholesaler and I was able to go to their website, just pick out which products I wanted to sell. I didn't want to sell super high-end diamond stuff because I felt like, you know, I don't know enough to start selling wedding jewelry. But at the same time, I knew, you know, if you sell a gold necklace or sterling silver or platinum rings, maybe that just don't have huge diamonds in them, there's a huge markup and people were able to check out the brick and mortar store, but then they were going home and Googling it and trying to find a cheaper price. I was able to sell the exact same products. And then over time I realized, well, I was able to make a profit doing that fairly easily, but then people were asking me, how do you do this? And so then I started making online jewelry stores and then selling the jewelry stores. Oh, and that's wow. where I found out part of, the, part of the real money was just creating an online company and people just wanted to buy the pre-made company. So I started okay. selling those. Yeah, building little <laughs> franchises. That's interesting. So just to go back to that part where you said people would search for cheaper prices, when you built your site, did you, like, I'm trying to picture like your skill set you're you're coming from a background of social work and then a bit of writing that's very different from setting up an e-commerce site that's suddenly ranking well for google search so how did you do that part part of it was figuring out i had to find little niches of things that were selling and what people were googling and i did a lot of google ads so that when people would go to buy the same jewelry on somebody else's site they'd go to look for a coupon code and sometimes i would have a special promotion and i was drawing traffic that way i didn't have a a blog on the site or anything like that. So I didn't have a lot of organic traffic, but I was able to sort of figure out what's going to be hot for the holidays. So mom jewelry is obviously a, a hot item when you get close to Mother's Day. So if right. I sold something that had birthstones in it, so I would sort of figure out just a couple of keywords and set up a Google ad. And I seemed to be able to draw a fair amount of traffic that way, as long as I was really careful about which words I picked and I monitored it closely to figure out which ones were working and which ads weren't going to work. And then coupon code websites. So things like Retail Me Not, for example, you can put information in and um, make you know a 10% off coupon code. And I was finding that that was having big returns as well. You sound like you're reasonably technically able to figure out Google AdWords, coupons, setting up the, the site itself. 
just out of curiosity, was was your site like based on an e-commerce platform? I know today I'd say Shopify, but I don't think Shopify would have been around back then, if I'm correct or not. Right. I have I had zero you know technical knowledge, and I figured it all out myself. But I just started bought my own domain, used WordPress, and created my own website. Switched it up a few times, you know, with different shopping carts. And as I started a new company here and there, I would change things up a little. But I had very simple websites, but I kept them clean and they weren't very cluttered. And so it was easy for people to find products. And I found that that seemed to work. But it was a lot of trial and error and a lot of just Google research that I did myself to figure these things out. Right. And you were dropshipping, so you weren't running down to the post office and sending this jewelry out yourself. Right. Most of the things I sold, I never even saw in person. And so occasionally if somebody had a return or, or a problem or something like that, occasionally I saw the jewelry, but for the most part, I never, never even handled it. And how did the, the franchise model come about? So uh, <laughs> <laughs> tell us more about that. So I, four years after my husband had passed away, I got remarried. My second husband and I sort of took this on as a team and we were working on this and I still was working as a therapist and I was still working as a writer and and this other, the e-commerce was sort of both of our side jobs. And his father had gotten sick. He had to travel. He was going to be gone. And I said, you know, I don't know that I can juggle all of these things. And so we said, well, what if we, we were just going to shut the website down, but I hated to lose all the progress that we'd made. So I said, what if we try to sell the website? We weren't even sure if it would work. We didn't have any inventory. We were just literally selling a website. And, and our, you know, you'd get a pass to the wholesaler too, so you could skip a few steps along the way, but we decided to give that a try. So we put the website, the first one up on an auction site and auctioned it off and it sold for a fair amount of money. And then it occurred to us, maybe that's where the real money is. So then we started making new websites with that in mind of let's just sell a small niche, whether we decide we're going to sell a certain kind of ring or a certain kind of necklace and set up those sites, show that it's profitable over the course of a few months, and then try to try to sell those to people who want a, the ease of a dropship business, but maybe don't want all the hassle of getting it started or they want some help in figuring out how do I get this going and sustain it. So mm-hmm. it sort of happened by accident. That wasn't our intent in the beginning. But once we sold the first one and realized that there was a fair amount of interest in people buying them, then that's what we started doing after that. That's interesting. I can imagine because you were using Google ads to get the initial customers you literally could turn on a website, put a little shopping cart there, list the products, run some ads for a few months, get some revenue coming in, and then you're, you've got a business in a box you can sell to someone who just wants to take over. As long as they're prepared to keep doing the ad campaigns and, and growing it, they've got a, a ready-to-go business. So that, that's really cool. Interesting turns you've had in this sort of business career you've had. It probably sounds a little bit uh, yeah. unexpected, most of these things, considering you were a social worker to begin with. Right. So I've just told myself, stay loose, stay flexible, see what you can do, and you never know what might happen. (laughs) So interesting. And we haven't even reached the main story here. So you started selling these little website businesses, and you're remarried, you're you're still practicing as a social worker. So was it with this article you wrote, did that come out of the blue? Or were you actively trying to like, you know, guess right posts to promote something? You know, I had written articles as a therapist. I'd written lots of mental health articles, parenting articles, sort of research-based, somewhat sterile articles for years. And this one was a little bit different because it was actually the same time period when we were starting to sell websites because my husband's father got sick, but my husband's father was diagnosed with terminal cancer. 
And I had already lost my mother. I had lost my first husband. And now I was facing the loss of my father-in-law. And I was starting in a point where I was feeling sorry for myself. I thought, this isn't fair. And at some point in my misery, I realized, okay, that's not helpful. That's not what mentally strong people do. And I sat down and I wrote this list of the 13 things mentally strong people don't do. And that one was really a letter to myself. Unlike a lot of the articles that I'd written that were really just supposed to be advice or ideas for other people, this one was just for me. And I sort of only published it to the web thinking, ah, maybe it'll help somebody else. Never imagined it would go viral and turn into something that it's now turned into. But where, I, where yeah, I had no it? intention. Okay. Um, I put it on a website called lifehack.org. Uh-huh. They paid me $15 for it. And I thought that that would be great. $15 income from it. Never imagined it would turn into seven figures. <laughs> okay. So and then just to clarify, the whole reason you do all this writing, I, I understand this one article, 13 Things Mentally Strong People Do, wasn't necessarily, like you said, it was for yourself. But all those other articles you wrote, was that simply because you were you know, demonstrating your authority, building your personal brand as a social worker? Was that why you were doing that? Or were you just doing it for the $15 an article that you get each one? <laughs> I was I was actually just mostly doing it for the money. So right. when um, okay. I, I worked for a, a doctor's office as a therapist, and so it wasn't you know I live in a really rural area, so it's not like a, you know getting a credibility on the internet was helping me bring in clients or anything like that. It was just about if I had a, a couple of spare hours here and there, I would write articles, and and that was it. And it earns you know a few hundred dollars here and there every month, and that was about it. And certainly didn't intend on, you know, I wasn't doing anything that was pay-per-click or I wasn't getting paid by the amount of viewers. I was just getting paid a flat fee. I'm just curious before we dive into that part of the story, how did you even find all this work? Because it sounds, I didn't realize that you could, you know, write an article for Lifehack and get $15. Is that something that people can still do to find these writing gigs for well-known sites like that? Absolutely. Like for instance, you found my article on the ProBlogger website. Right. Well, that's where I used to get a lot of my jobs actually was the pro blogger job board and they have a job board for tons and tons of websites sometimes it's ghostwriting sometimes it's writing under your own name but there's tons of websites out there that will pay you a flat fee sometimes it's $25 $50 $100 whatever it might be but they have different rules sometimes you need to have your own picture sometimes you just email them the word document and they'll add a picture and the links and that kind of stuff but tons and tons of jobs out there for that kind of mm. work yeah i've certainly been aware of like I guess, freelance opportunities to be a freelance writer, but I kind of never realized it would include getting published on Lifehack. Like most people I know try to get published on Lifehack to get exposure for their words to grow their own business, where it sounds like you were just, nope, just writing an article for the for the pay. So that's interesting. <laughs> um, take us forward. So what happened after you published that article on Lifehack, uh, 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do? I published it on Lifehack, sort of stepped away from my computer, did some other stuff, and I got an email from Lifehack that went out to all the writers that said, you can't publish anything today. Our servers are being overloaded. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. And at that time, whenever anybody would leave a comment, you'd get an email that said somebody just commented on your article. So I knew I was getting a lot of comments, but I didn't really think too much about it. And then same thing happened the next day. Lifehack said, we can't take any more articles because our, we have so much traffic right now and still didn't realize it was because of my article. And then on the third day, somebody from Forbes emailed me and said, I loved your article. I'm going to publish it on the Forbes website with some of my commentary about how that specifically applies to entrepreneurs. 
And incredibly, it went crazy viral on the Forbes website as well. So, and it's gotten more than 10 million views on Forbes. And then all of a sudden, it just kept blossoming from there. I was getting phone calls from national media. Fox News had called and Forbes said, oh, we want to interview you on camera about your article as well. And Bloomberg called and I was getting all of these phone calls and opportunities. And then in the midst of all that, a literary agent called and said, oh, you should write a book. And to be honest, I didn't even know what a literary agent was. Right. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and I thought she was probably going to you know, charge me money and then make an ebook or something. And so I just sort of blew her off. Fortunately, she followed back up with me a few days later and said, what do you think about that? And I was going to New York to be interviewed on Fox News and to talk to Forbes anyway. So I met with her in New York and figured out, oh, you're the real deal. <laughs> and and said, okay, how do, how do you write a book? How do you do a book proposal? And quickly learned all of those sorts of things. And within a month, we had a, a book deal with HarperCollins and things have just continued to blossom since. Okay, so... Before we look at this business that's blossomed from this article, I've written articles before that are, you know, seven things that do this or 10 things that do that. And so have no doubt countless people listening into this. Why is it that your 13 things article had this amazing explosive result? What do you think was the secret to that? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it was a combination of things. I think, you know, a lot of it has to do with just being in the right place at the right time. I won't say it was the fact that my words were all that compelling, but I think some of it is just I had plenty of influential people and companies who were tweeting this and sharing it on social media and people who had millions of followers. And the more it was getting shared, the more it was getting reshared. And so I think I'll fully admit luck plays a part in it. And Certainly when Forbes picked it up, that helped. I don't know how many views it got on Lifehack. They don't share that information with me. I know it was shared almost a million times, but I don't know how many times it was viewed. But And once Forbes picked it up, it seemed to give me a lot more credibility. And then it just ballooned from there that more outlets were picking it up. But And some people have asked me, was there, did you mean to say 13? Nope, I didn't. And, you know, I just wrote the list. I didn't mean to come up with 13, but some people seem to think that that was the magic number, having an odd number and 13 sort of the unlucky number or it's a little mysterious <laughs> and also the fact that my article was about what people don't do and mm. so I think sometimes people couldn't resist just clicking on it to say oh do I do any of those things and I see lots of articles now about what successful people don't do right. or what happy people don't do but and you're to um, blame for that huh? <laughs> <laughs> well I hadn't really seen too many don't do articles <laughs> to be honest back in the when I first did that so I think back then it was a little bit newer and sort of a fresh idea and and I also think mental strength. Nobody seems to really be talking about mental strength and what it means to be mentally strong. So I think there is some curiosity there that led people to click on it and then sort of run through the checklist of, ooh, do I do any of these things? And then they seem to want to share it with other people. So I think I'm it was a variety of factors. I'm also guessing that your own story, you know, with, with three people in your, your life passing away would have given a lot of resonance to the fact that you have to be mentally strong. So that probably helped to kind of make it a more powerful message. Do you think that's true? Well, you know, interestingly, when the article went viral, my article didn't say why I wrote it or anything. It was right. literally just the list of the 13 things. Wow, okay. And then when I went to be interviewed for Forbes and Fox News, they were asking me, how'd you come up with this list? Well, my father-in-law had actually passed away four days before I went on TV to talk about mental strength. So when they were asking me those questions, I just said, oh, I'm a therapist and I know these things. And I didn't tell my story. Wow. <laughs> and 
So nobody knew until the book came out, actually. And I almost didn't put it in the book because I'm a therapist and I listen to people's stories. I don't tell my own. And so I really hemmed and hawed and I said, I don't know if I want to tell my story. And my agent was very nice. She said, you don't have to. Might give you some more credibility if you do. And so I finally decided, okay, I'll do this. And then to this day, I think plenty of people who read the article have no idea why I wrote it. But since then, I've been able to share my TED Talk and that sort of thing, sort of the, the background of why right. I wrote it in the first place. And I'm glad that I did because I think it did help people know that I really was a letter to myself. But when it went viral, nobody knew that. I, I didn't realize that's that's quite amazing. So it's purely on the strength of the ideas you had. Nothing about the backstory really really helped. So, you know, that's amazing. I'm, I'm, I'm blown away. I thought the story would have been a big part of the hook, but it's really just about... Like you said, a, a powerful headline perhaps wasn't overly used yet. I think I've seen so many don't do's and similar things because I read Business Insider and Forbes and these sites too. So I totally blame you for all of that. <laughs> Take us forward, Amy, in the story. The So you, you start appearing on all these uh, mainstream media as well as your articles all over the place in terms of I think every publication probably featured it in some shape or form that I can think of. When did you think, okay, well, I'm assuming once you got the book deal, you probably thought this is potentially a business, but how, how big were you thinking at that point in terms of, I'm going to create a business around this? You know, in the beginning, I really wasn't. I was like, oh, okay, if I could write a book, and I was trying to do the math of how much I'd need to earn from a book to make it worth my while, because I was still working as a social worker, so I only had so many hours per week that I could work on a book, and I'm not an author, so I said, you know, I don't even know how to write a book. I don't know how long it's going to take. But my publisher really wanted to get the book out quickly, so they gave me a, a quick deadline. I only had three months to write the book. And so I stayed employed as a social worker the whole time. I got the book done. And I really thought that that was probably it. Great, I'll write one book. And then I spoke to another author and I said, oh, you know, my book's all done. I did all the work. And he said, no, it's called the bestsellers list, right? Nobody buys a book because it's on the best writers list. Now you have to go out and market it. And I was like, you know, no, I have a publicist. The publisher's going to do that. And he said, oh, Amy, it doesn't work like that. You have to now go out and market your book. And I thought, oh, <laughs> And so I was trying my very best to then start marketing the book. And then we recorded the audio book. And, and by then I was getting calls for speaking engagements. And finally went to my supervisor at my job and I said, can we just cut my hours back? And he said, you know, well, why don't we just take a sabbatical? You can take a little break, go out and do your thing, do the best you can with this and see what happens. And so I did. I decided at that point, okay, we'll see what we can make of this, but still really didn't have any idea. I thought maybe I'd take a few months off, but then as things just kept unfolding within a few more months, the book finally hit the shelves and I was getting more speaking opportunities and writing opportunities were pouring in. I no longer had to go out and search for them, but people were coming to me and I no longer had to worry about writing for $15 an article anymore. I could write the same article and, and make thousands of dollars off the same thing. And so it was then that it really started to hit me of, oh, Maybe I could do something different with this. And then I started to think about you know, an e-course and, and a next book. But it was a slow process getting to that point of thinking, oh, I could turn this, this whole thing, could make my whole career take this sharp left-hand turn, and I could do something completely different. Well, well take us forward. I'm assuming you're no longer, or do you still practice as a social worker or, or not? I'm still on that sabbatical. <laughs> they, <laughs> they've held my job for me. So if I want to go back, I can. I have a safe net. How long ago was that? <laughs> I live in a um, let's see, that was July 4th of 2014 okay. was my last day at the office. So a couple of years. it's been a while. Yeah. And so instead now my, my day doesn't 
I don't have to go to a nine to five job anymore. It's <laughs> well, different. Us, right? Yeah. How, do, how does a book and an article and a whole bunch of speaking gigs and a whole bunch of posts turn into uh, you know seven figures? Because that's still a big jump, even if you're getting. I mean, I don't know if you're getting paid to speak, but even when you do that, I doubt you're. You know, you're, you're at the hundred thousand uh, an event level at this point, and I'm assuming the course is a big part of the income too. So, how does how does it all come together to turn to a seven figure business? Yeah, so a couple of different things. I guess I I sold my book to my publisher in the U.S. We sold the English rights only, and so then I was able to go on and get foreign translation rights. So then I make I have 25 different publishing deals right now because it's being published in 25 languages so far. And and so I make money off of every single one of those languages. Before you keep going, I've got to. I always find this interesting because most people don't make a good living from a book. They treat it as a promotional right. tool to sell their coaching, their speaking, their course, whatever it is. Recently, I interviewed Hal Elrod from the Miracle Morning, and he was like, "No, no, the book is selling like you know a few thousand copies a, a month, so he's making good money. I think it was three thousand a month or something like that." So, if you took away everything else, are you able to live off just book sales now? Yes, I would be able to, sure. How does that happen? What's the key there? Just have a great book, I'm guessing. Uh, right. Well, I think, again, it's all about you know sustained marketing. I see so many books that come out of the gates and they, they hit the bestseller list and then they dwindle away and don't sell very many copies a month. I keep marketing. I write for lots of different publications. Sometimes I don't get paid for it. Sometimes it's just for complete for publicity. And I do lots and lots of interviews and Every day I'm still doing things, even though it's been my book came out in December of 2014. So it's been a while since my book has come out. But every day I'm still doing multiple things to make sure that I'm keeping my book out there. And that seems to, to help. And I'm doing things on social media and that sort of thing. But I'm also continuing to write articles about mental strength and mental health and being an entrepreneur and everything I can to put it out there. And that I think has helped keep my book in the stores because one big thing is, you know, the shelf life of a book these days is usually fairly short. My book is still in Target and it's still in Barnes and Noble and hardcover and all of that sort of a thing. And it will come out in paperback in March of next year. So I'll have even more opportunities, I think, when it comes out in paperback to just keep pushing it and pushing it and mm. pushing it. So, so it's really um, the marketing then is what you're sort of saying. You have to keep choosing yeah. to promote your book. Right. And then for speaking engagements, you know, sometimes I do speak for for book sales only. I've done that a, a couple of times, but you know, when they buy everybody in the audience a copy of the book, that sort of a thing. And my whole goal in getting in marketing the first book was that I wanted to write a second book. And I had heard that it's really hard to get a second book deal, even harder than the first book deal. And so I knew I needed to sell enough copies to make my publisher interested in the second book. Mm -hmm. And so that was really my goal was, you know, even if I go do this speaking engagement, I don't earn any money. If it sells books, again, that's more opportunity to show my publisher that I'm invested in this and I'll be able to get another book deal. Right. Okay. Interesting. Okay. So the book is one hefty side of the income equation for a seven figure business. Where does everything else fit in? And then writing articles when I do pick articles to write now, you know, I have magazines now that approach me and will say, do you want to write an article? And it might just be a short article, but they'll pay me a thousand dollars for it. And so if I can do some of those the exact same types of articles I used to write for $15, I can now get paid $1,000 for. <laughs> Makes it much easier. <laughs> now that's because you're technically famous now, right? That's why you can get the, the additional fee? Right. Now they find me instead of I don't have to, you know, seek people and, you know, ask if I can write for their website. Fortunately, I get you know, Time Magazine or Parade Magazine wrote to me and said, oh, we heard about your, your work in mental strength and resilience. We'd like you to write an article. And that certainly opens up lots of new doors once you have a 
traditionally published book on the shelf mm. to be able to do that. How important do you think your your official qualifications, your uh, LCSW, is to all of this? Yeah, I think that's quite important as well, but it all sort of fell together because I know that there are a lot of articles out there about similar things, but I also had the experience of saying, and I've, I've been doing this for a long time, and I see this in my office, and I could give, in the book especially, I could give real life examples of how these things apply and what people were going through. So I do think that was a big part of it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what came next after the book? Was it, so the book, and you're getting paid to paid more to write, you're getting hired to speak sometimes for a fee, sometimes they buy your book. What was next? Yeah, so the book, the speaking was really starting to blossom, and I thought, okay, I'm a social worker. I don't know how to get on a big stage at a conference and speak in front of a lot of people. So I decided to invest in a speaking coach. That was sort of my next step. And then once that was really starting to to earn a regular income, going to traveling around and doing these speaking engagements, I thought, you know, what else can I do to keep people engaged after I get on a stage and speak? People often want more information. And I also got lots of emails from people all around the world saying, can you give me coaching? But I didn't want to fall back into that billable hour idea where I can only coach you for an hour and I'm only going to make so much money. So that was where the course came in. I said, if I can make an online course on mental strength, make it different enough from the book that people who read my book, if they want to know more, they could take the course. But also, even if they hadn't read the book, if a lot of people aren't interested in sitting down and reading a book anymore, they want something more interactive. So it could also stand alone so that you could still learn about mental strength, even if you weren't ever going to read my book. Or if you've heard me speak, you still might be interested enough in buying my course to learn even more. So mm-hmm. I tried to make it something that would that would appeal to all of those audiences and created that and then found um, it's been a wonderful tool just to refer to people when they email me and say, I liked your book. I want to know more. Or I have this specific problem. How do I deal with it? Then I can just recommend that they take the course and instead of trying to do coaching one hour at a time. And has the course become as significant an income source as the book? And then there are other types of writing you do? It's not as much as the book, but it, it is nice because, you know, I don't do a whole lot of advertising for it. I decided to only charge $97 for the course. And in the beginning, I had thought, oh, I could charge more and do a lot of work with affiliates. But I really just wanted something that was still somewhat affordable for people. And it was more important to keep the price down as opposed to you know, saying it's a master class and charging $500 and getting lots of affiliates and that kind of a thing. I didn't want it to turn into that. I just, you know, I really want it to be a useful tool for people who legitimately want help and they're really interested in investing in themselves. It's interesting to hear you talk because we're almost opposite. My book is a freebie, you know, and then the course is what I promote more heavily and the chunk of my income comes from the course. So it's nice to hear that it can, you know, work both ways. It really depends on, I think, what you focus on, it sounds like the book has been such a breakthrough for you. It makes sense to keep going down that direction. Yeah, I kept hearing from different people, sort of their different business models. Some people say, oh, I speak for free just to sell the course. And other people, they're, oh, no, I use the course to attract speaking engagements. Right. Or, I wrote the book. So, I, And I was, you know, in the beginning, I was thinking, oh, how am I going to do this? Or what does this make sense? To, you know, what do you do for free? And how much information do you give away? And it took a while to sort of find my my place in all of that. Okay, where do I actually want to earn the most money? And what am I comfortable giving away for free? And how do I want to attract people? But it, there was definitely some trial and error as I tried to figure out exactly what my business model was going to be. But I think it's definitely different for different people depending on what your path is mm. then. I'd love to know what's a, a typical week like for you now because it sounds like you could be speaking anywhere on the planet and also sitting behind your computer 
writing an article for Cosmo potentially or something like that right. as well. Is that, <laughs> is that about the average week for you? Or? It is. I just, you know, I can work from anywhere now. So as long as I have a laptop. So um, we travel all the time, my husband and I both. And um, get to go do all these fun things and exciting places. And I just got back. I was gone for about six weeks. Just got home and going to Budapest soon for a speaking engagement. Wow. And going to go live in the Florida Keys for a while on a boat. I'm just going to have fun, I think, and do a bunch of strange things that I can do now that I just need a laptop and an internet connection. That's awesome. Laptop lifestyle. Fantastic. Yes. Before we wrap up, I'd love to just break down a little bit more of the sort of technical foundations of everything, because I'm looking at your site now, amymorinlcsw.com, and it's got everything we've talked about. So your book, you've got a blog, you've got your e-course, which has a short sales page, you've got a speaking page, and you know it's a well-presented personal brand content site. So could you just walk us through, did you build this yourself still, or have you had people help you? Yep, um, my husband and I built it ourselves, and you know, try to figure out what's what's important to put on there. Whether the you know what do we really want to attract people for? Whereas I still I write for Inc. Magazine and Forbes and Psychology Today, so most of my traffic comes from those places. So people who already read my articles then want to know more. So whether they just want to contact me and they need my contact information, or they want to hire me to speak, or they just want more information. So we try to use that as I'm not necessarily drawing people to my page as a first stop, but I'm attracting them from other websites where they already had my information. So we were really trying to figure out how do you make that work for people who maybe want to know about my book. So we're trying to make it as simple as we could and to really try to point people in whichever direction they, they needed once they got to my page. And it's WordPress still as well? It is, yep. <laughs> and your course, how did, how do you deliver that? It's via WordPress as well. We had to hire some people to help with certain parts of it. Graphics are not my thing. So we hired people to do some of the graphics and to help with the videos and that sort of a thing. But the rest of it um, was pretty simple to put together. There's a WordPress plugin called CoursePress. And uh -huh. that's what we used to, to create that. And since we had already done e-commerce sites, it wasn't too bad when it came to figuring out, you know, a shopping cart and that affiliates and that sort of a thing. Right. I was going to ask, how do you take payments? Are you like a PayPal or Stripe? or? We use Stripe, so we take credit card. And I find, interestingly, um, a lot of my buyers are from countries outside of the United States. So that's been interesting to sort of keep track of, okay, where's my traffic coming from? Who are the buyers? And there's people, you know, somebody from Kuwait and somebody from Australia this morning by the course. So just take a look at where are people coming from and why are they coming here? And how, how do I best serve them? Mm, fantastic. So WordPress for delivering content, both the course and the blog and pretty much everything on your site. What was the plugin course? The plugin is called course press course press for protecting the content and then just Stripe to, to take the payment. Uh, sounds yep. like that's probably all you need. Really? Do, do you have an email list as well? You maintain? I do. I don't keep up with it as well as I should. I was selling out, I was sending out regular newsletters for a while and it's sort of fallen to the, to the wayside, but I do have a space on there so I can update people on my next book and that sort of a thing. That's interesting. So, you know, you and I, and I think a lot of people who are speakers or teachers or coaches or authors have different business models. Like I'm so heavy on email. Email is a huge part of what I do. And, you know, uh, my blog is the center point. And it sounds like you almost have the reverse of that, where all of your marketing is through other sites and you're heavily focused on 
either getting paid to write and certainly over the years you've written so much for so many other sites your name is on everywhere plus it helps that your post went viral obviously that's a, a big boost right and then by the time they come to your site they're already pretty much convinced they know you from your book from a talk you did from several articles they've read that you've written so it's just a case of here's my product here's my book if you haven't got it already or hire me to speak if you're a person who's running an event and uh you know you don't have to worry too much about the whole create an email funnel, you know, have a variety of products and services that you deliver content leading up to it, doing a launch, all that sort of stuff. It's just, nope, go out there, build the brand, do a lot of marketing and, and it's worked for you. Yep, that's it exactly. I think you summed it up very nicely. <laughs> yeah, interesting. I mean, I think, and this is my last question for you, Amy, because there'll be people listening to this who are still at the phase where people don't know who they are and, you know, they might have their, their small following but they're not at the point where they're living off sales of their book or they're getting hired to speak and getting you know enough to live off from that or selling a course and they haven't you know, built up enough sales for that. This is going to be an interesting question because I think what the way I would advise that person might be different from what you would suggest. So if there is a person who, who has some sort of expertise like yourself and they want to get to the point where you are, what would you recommend they do? I guess I would recommend that they, in my, like I did, I guess, guest post to blog everywhere you can other than your own website and then to funnel people back to your website after they get to know you and to, to put something personal in your blog posts or your articles that you write for somebody else. If it could have been written by anybody, then people aren't going to remember your name. And so you just want to make sure that whatever you write maybe has a little bit of a personal story, a little bit of a personal flair, something that will make people think, oh, who wrote this? And they'll actually want to look at your name. There's so much content out there and so many people that just rehash a study or give some certain sterile advice, which I learned isn't necessarily going to attract people to really want to know about you. But when you can put your own little personal flair on things and people are interested in getting to know you and who wrote it and they'll want to know more about you. And do you think, especially given the way you've gone about this, should you just only focus on writing for other people first and not even worry necessarily about your own website, your own you know, email list, all that sort of traditional stuff. Just try and get as much coverage with your content out on the internet first and then see what happens after that. Well, that's what certainly worked for me. In the beginning, my personal website, it was a parenting website because I was writing um, a fair amount of parenting articles. And so it was just a basically a static page that said who I was and then I wrote about parenting issues. And I was not active on social media. I didn't really have a newsletter or anything like that. But it was just a matter of getting my name out there. And granted, you know, if I would have tried 10 more times, I wouldn't be able to get something go, to go viral on purpose. But even if you don't get something to go viral, I think the more sites you can write for, the more credibility you get. And if you can tell people, hey, I've written for um, Time Magazine or I wrote something for, for the Forbes website, the better jobs that you'll get when it comes to writing and the more credibility you get sort of one thing leads to the next and to the next. Cause I've certainly encountered lots of people who say, you know, I've been blogging on my own website for 10 years and I still barely get any traffic. Mm. And I really think sometimes the boost that you need is to be able to go out there and say, Hey, I want to write a guest post for you. And even if you don't get paid for it to be, to do it just for the credibility can help. Mm. I love this message. I work with a lot of, you know, bloggers and, and content people. And like you just said, very comfortable writing to their own blogs, very comfortable staying into, in that safe zone of your own platform, your own podcast, your own Facebook page, whatever it is. But the idea of proactively seeking ways to get 
content on other people's sites, to write for other people, to appear on other people's podcasts, they, it's just not comfortable. They don't like the acts of self-promotion. So I love the fact that you're really ramming home the message here that it's not going to happen for you if you don't go out to where the audiences are and, and put your ideas and your content and your story in front of them. And you're a great example of someone who sounds like you've been doing it, even though you did it initially for the $15 an article payday. It's right. been a part of what you've been doing for a long time. You've been writing articles forever by the sounds of thing on all kinds of subjects. And that's really been a big part of every business you've had, perhaps maybe not the jewelry, but you know every other business. Yes, because sometimes people will say, well, it's different for you because you were like this overnight success. You wrote one article and it went viral. And I always correct them and say, oh, no, I was writing for 10 years before that article went viral. Yeah. And, you know, I have written tons and tons of content, you know, every single month. And but the more you can get it out there, the more likely you are to have people read it, which is what you want. So, mm. Well, hopefully some people listening in to this, like like me, are excited about the idea of having more of your content out there. I know I've been a bit slack myself with getting, you know, guest posts and, and doing that kind of marketing so it excites me. I think it's great that something like what happened to you could happen as well. Like imagine for anyone listening in, if you write one article, it might be your first or it might be your thousandth and you get this <laughs> viral outcome and suddenly book deal, talk on stage, appear on TV, radio. And, you know, no, I don't take any, any of the shine away from you, but it, it sounds like it was so unexpected <laughs> the way it happened to you. So it's really kind of exciting that that could happen to anyone. So, uh, you know, thanks for opening the door to that idea as well by doing that. Absolutely. I think you just never know what, what might happen. But if you're willing to put yourself out there and know that criticism is part of it, that not everybody's going to like what you write, but... But that's okay. And sometimes when people don't like it, at least you've expressed an opinion one way or the other. And for all the people who don't like it, you'll also find people that are really attracted to it as well. Yeah, that's fantastic. Okay, Amy, last opportunity. Any other places you want to send people to in terms of uh, your websites? Amy Morin, L-C-S-W, or as I did, you can Google Amy Morin, and that's M-O-R-I-N, to find Amy's site. Anything else you want to throw out there? No, I think that's it. If anybody's interested and you go to my site, you'll find some information about the books, of course, and other stuff that I do. And of course, the book itself is the same title as your article, right? Yes. 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do. My publisher wanted to keep it the same. We kept the same 13 things in the exact same order, and I just expanded upon them and gave examples and told the rest of the story in the book. That is awesome. Okay, Amy, thank you for taking the time to share your story. An interesting one from, from writing to jewelry to writing and speaking again. So <laughs> that's, that's great to hear. And yeah, good luck with the future of, of the business. And, and the second book, which I'm sure must be around the corner by now. Is, is that right? Yeah. So this first book comes out in paperback in March. And my next book, which is 13 Things Mentally Strong Parents Don't Do, comes uh, out in the fall of 2017. Okay. 13 Things Mentally Strong Parents Don't Do. Fantastic. Okay. Thanks, Amy. And for everyone listening in, if you'd like to get the show notes or any of the details that went along with Amy's interview, you can head to my blog, entrepreneurs-journey.com or Google my name, Yaro, Y-A-R-O. And when you get there, just hit the podcast tab and you can find Amy's episode as well as all the previous podcasts. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Amy Morin and feel inspired to get out there and write your own articles to possibly get this amazing viral traffic event which, as you could hear, can turn into an incredible outcome. An entire seven-figure business can be born from just one really successful article. 
Again, as well as a reminder, if you have not yet signed up for the EJ Podcast newsletter, go to interviewsclub.com to sign up and get all the latest episodes sent to your email inbox each time I release a new episode. You'll be the first to know about it. Plus, you also get all the very best interviews from the EJ Podcast archives. Okay, I hope you enjoyed today's episode with Amy. My name is Yarrow, and I'll speak to you on the next EJ Podcast.